Welcome to week number nine of our video programs during social distancing. Well, you know, we almost made it to an in-person church service this morning here at Community Baptist Church. The governor had signed the uh, mandate for phase one in Virginia, allowing the entire state to enter into phase one, which would open up many businesses and churches and uh, we were planning and getting all geared up to today being our return to an in-person church service. But that plan hit a bit of a snag as uh, Loudoun County joined some other jurisdictions and uh, appealed to our governor to exclude our counties from phase one at the current time, uh, believing that our counties aren't ready yet. Uh, for phase one. And so uh, that has been delayed. Our governor signed the order this last week, excluding our county from phase one. So while churches uh, across most of Virginia are able to meet this morning, northern Virginia is still uh, working towards being ready for phase one. And so uh, here we are again coming to you by way of a, a morning program uh, through technology. Uh, and so we'll continue to pray and to work and to prepare and to plan uh, for our reopening, and we'll certainly let you know when that's going to happen. We appreciate your prayers as you pray for us, uh, myself, the leaders of Community Baptist, as we uh, plan and prepare for that time of reopening our Sunday morning uh, church service to the public. Until then, our church family will continue to work to bring you ministry through technology. Uh, we have been bringing uh, programs, ministry programs that, uh, that are geared at children and various adult age groups. We have brought Sunday school classes, adult Bible study classes, prayer meetings, and the church services and more uh, to you during this time of social distancing. And that's been our pleasure. We'll continue to work and to do that uh, until we're able to uh, return to in-person services. We appreciate your helping us again this week to meet new people and in social media. And so subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are watching by way of YouTube today. If you're on our Facebook page, make sure you have liked our page, share our page, and even considering starting a watch party uh, for others to be able to find out about the programming here at Community Baptist Church. Today I'm going to be speaking on the subject, But God. You know, God is the great contrast throughout the Old and New Testament. He's the one who's the change agent. Uh, but God is a phrase we run into often in our Bible. And so we're going to look at that change agent role that God plays with the title, But God. Before we look at the scriptures this morning, I want you to listen to Ken and Angela Taylor, uh, they have a special uh, piece of music that is entitled, Touch Your People Once Again. Quite a fitting song to introduce the theme of God as a great change agent. Listen as Ken and Angela bring this special music. We need wisdom, we need power, and true love for each other. We have had so many big and empty words. 
agent. He's the contrast between the past and the future. And the concept of the phrase, but God, is a key concept that we have throughout the Bible. So I want us to think about that great contrast, the contrast, but God. You know, the word but is an interesting word. The dictionary defines it as a conjunction. Uh, Here's one statement, one definition I was looking at. The word but is used to introduce a phrase or clause contrasting with that which has already been mentioned. It is a clause that contrasts what has already been mentioned away from what is in the future, what is about to be mentioned. Well, that's a great thought. Regarding God, because throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Bible uh, goes along speaking about something and then stops and says, but God. And all of a sudden there's a contrast, a contrast between what was and what becomes. And the contrast is God. He is the change agent that turns the past into something better for the future. And this phrase, but God, is an exciting phrase that we find throughout the Bible. But God is the great contrast to the obvious, the expected, and the rational. What you would expect, what you've experienced, what has been, all of a sudden is contrasted with what becomes. The rational changes into the irrational. The obvious changes into the unexpected. 
what you have been experiencing changes into something of grand and glorious difference. God makes the difference in our lives. He is the change agent. He is the great contrast throughout Scripture. And so it begs a question for me and for all of us. Do I need God in my life? Do I need a God who is not bound by what is obvious? One who, is, who does what is not expected. And one who is not bound by the rational, but is able to do which is beyond rational thought or rational experience. Well, I need that kind of a God. I need a God who can do what I can't do. Who can make life what I can't make it. The one who can come into my life and experience and bring a contrast, a change into something far better than anything that could have been. That's God. And that's why throughout the Bible you will run across this phrase, but God, as the Bible introduces a contrast, a change into something far better. Well, I have to ask myself the question then, what is it that God changes in my life? What are the contrasts that God causes to occur in my life and experience? Well, I, I, this week I went through the scriptures and I looked at a number of the clauses but God and the context of what had been, what was rational, what was being experienced, what was the normal. And then after the phrase but God, I looked at what changed. I looked at what the other side of the contrast was. And I found that, that God brings about some amazing changes in our life. And I want to share with you uh, some of those in just a few moments this morning. I want you to think, first of all, the first contrast, but God saves. I'm at the book of Romans, chapter number 5, and I'm going to read verse number 6 and a few verses after that. Romans 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, for when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This is a great statement in our Bible that paints a before and an after. When I was without strength, I had no ability to be able to solve the problem of my sin. When I was without strength, when, when I was without hope, when there was nothing I could do to fix the reality of my sinful life, Christ died for me. Now... Some people may die for a good man. No one would die for a sinful man. But God did. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So don't you see that the contrast is that before I was sinful, I was helpless, 
I was guilty before a holy God, my creator, and I couldn't fix that problem. My experience was that I was hopelessly lost. And it's rational to think that those who are guilty will have to pay a price for their crime. That's rational. But God, but God enters into the picture and he comes and takes the criminal's place, pays the criminal's debt, and then sets the criminal free. That was the contrast that God brought in my life. But God saved me from my sin. I find the same thing expressed in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. Let me read to you from Ephesians, chapter number 2. The Bible says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This was the reality of my life. This was the time past when I walked according to my own sinful desires, following the, the temptations and the encouragements of Satan himself, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. This is the... The picture of the past. This is the way it was. I was hopelessly lost. Then I read in verse number four, but God, but God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us or made us alive with Christ. God is the great change agent that brings the reality of salvation to those that are hopelessly lost without any possibility of solving the problem of their sin. I knew that I was hopelessly lost, but God intervened and saved me from my sin. That's the kind of God I need active and vibrant in my life. A God who contrasts the reality of my past with the hope for my future and makes it possible on the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ died for me. Now, once I'm saved, that doesn't end the need for a God of contrast in my life. I find that there's, there's another contrast that God is very much at work in bringing about in my life, and that's the contrast... But God strengthens when I'm weak. I was tempted to go down many paths of, of doing the wrong thing, making the wrong decisions. But God intervenes in those situations and times. And when God intervenes, he makes all the difference in the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 13, the Bible says... There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We're all tempted to do wrong. Even after we've been brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we still have issues and struggles in our life where we find ourselves tempted to do the wrong thing. And sometimes we feel ourselves weak 
and susceptible to temptation to do the wrong thing. But the Bible says that there's no temptation that you will ever face that is not common to all of mankind. Everyone struggles with the same sinfulness. This verse says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. God is faithful to our to, to us in our lives. And when we struggle with that which is wrong, and when we feel the temptation to do the wrong thing, God is the great contrast that comes into play. He's the change agent that brings his faithful ministry to us at times of weakness, and he strengthens us to enable us to do the right thing when we're tempted to do the wrong thing. God is the change agent, the great contrast by bringing strength to bear in our lives so that when we feel weak and susceptible to temptation, God brings the strength to be able to escape the temptation that comes into our life. Then there's another contrast that I find in our lives. I read about it over in the book of Exodus as the story of Israel leaving Egypt unfolds. You remember that story well, don't you? The story about how Israel had been under slavery to the Egyptian people for, uh, for generations. And they had prayed and begged God to deliver them from the, uh, from the uh, slavery that they were under. And God did. He sent Moses. And Moses came and led the people out of Egypt. Then something interesting happens. As Israel is leaving Egypt, there are different roads or different paths that they could, uh, they could walk on to be able to go from Egypt back to the promised land. The land that God had promised uh, uh, Abraham so many generations before. And so I read in Exodus chapter 13 and in verse number 17... That it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That would have been the common sense path. That would have been the rational thing to do. You're leaving Egypt. The rational thing would be to take the shortest route to get from Egypt back to the promised land. But the Bible says that God led them not through the way of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. There was a danger that Israel was unaware of. The danger was that if they did the rational thing, if they did the thing that made the most sense, they've got to get from Egypt to the promised land. The, the most uh, the, the sensible thing to do would be to take the shortest, most direct route to get there as quickly as possible. But God knew something that they didn't know. 
God knew that that land was occupied by the Philistines and that they would block Israel's attempt to go back to the promised land. And Israel would go straight into a war. And when they saw war, they would, be, uh, they would struggle and they would give up and they would turn around and go back to slavery in Egypt. So God, knowing what Israel didn't know, protected them by leading them to do something that didn't make sense. Verse number 18 says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. That's an interesting phrase, harnessed. <laughs> they went up harnessed. You harness a horse and attach it to a, a wagon to pull the wagon. You harness the horse to control the decisions the horse makes. Now, the people are going to make the decision to do what is what makes most sense to them. They can see that the obvious right decision is to go the shortest route, the easiest route, that will take them right around the curvature of the Red Sea and take, uh, and take them, uh, I'm sorry, the, the curvature of the Mediterranean Sea and go directly into the Promised Land. But God harnessed them and he led them in a direction that didn't make sense. And he took them in a direction that they would not have chosen on their own. Because God is a God who leads us in strange directions. Because God knows something we don't know. And I need that kind of a God in my life. A God who will lead me in strange directions. Things that I wouldn't decide to do. But I feel impressed and directed by God that this is the direction he wants me to take. God knowing what I don't know leads me in strange directions. I'm glad I have that kind of a God in my life. I can trust that kind of a God. I can pray, read his word, depend upon him and trust him to lead me to make decisions that may not make sense to me, but they make perfect sense to him. And the future will unfold and show the wisdom of following God in strange directions. Then I find another contrast in life that, that, that occurs in many people's lives, and that has to do with physical health. You know, God uses physical sickness to accomplish different things. And sometimes it's not God's will to deliver someone from a sickness that they have. But sometimes it is. And I read in the book of Philippians and in uh, chapter number 2 that, that God is working in the life of an individual by the name of Epaphroditus. The Bible says, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He says, you know, it's, it's probably necessary for me to send my brother Epaphroditus. He's a companion in labor and a fellow soldier, but he's your messenger. And so 
Uh, he's the one that's ministered to my wants and has been sent by you, and, and I'm going to send him back to you. That's the right thing to do. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye heard that he had been sick. And so here's a situation where someone who's a close friend to the Apostle Paul, but also loved by the church at Philippi, and, and Paul needs to send him back to the church at Philippi. But he had been very sick. And the people back at Philippi had heard he was sick. They no doubt had put Epaphroditus on their prayer list. And they were no doubt praying for his physical health and return to health. And so the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse number 27, For indeed he was sick. Nigh unto death. So Epaphroditus was on his deathbed getting ready to die. And then the phrase, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice. Oh, God was the agent of change. He was the contrast between a man on his deathbed and a man healthy enough to travel all the way back to Philippi and bring joy back to those people when they saw their good friend healthy and alive and well. God is the one that brings healing into the lives of people that are sick. When we pray for them and seek God's will... And oftentimes God brings healing to people that are sick. And that healing is an evidence that I need that kind of a God in my life. A God who brings healing. But God heals. And that's a great thing that I need in my life. Here's another one. There's another contrast. But God brings good things out of bad things. You remember the story about how Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery back in the book of Genesis? His brothers had done a horrible thing when they sold their youngest brother into slavery, the one that, uh, that they were so angry with because he seemed to be destined to be the one who would lead the family uh, lead all their family clan. And so they had sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. And uh, horrible things had happened to Joseph. You remember the story how that God intervened. And years later, Joseph, through a series of miracles, has been elevated from slavery to the position right under the Pharaoh. And Joseph was key to bringing prosperity to Egypt during a horrible time of famine. And through that famine, God reunited the family. And the brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery find themselves standing before their brother, whom they had done so much bad to. And now they bow before him because of his leadership in the world empire of Egypt the world powerhouse of Egypt. And so, all of a sudden, we find an interesting statement in Genesis chapter 45, and in verse number 8, the Bible says, 
So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Joseph said to his brothers, you sought to do evil to me. You tried to kill me, and then you sold me into slavery, and you wanted to do bad things to me. But I want you to understand that in reality, it was not you that sent me to Egypt. It was God that sent me to Egypt. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. What a turnaround. And Joseph's brothers thought that what they had done to Joseph was going to result in Joseph doing terrible things to them. And yet, the table got turned. And Joseph doesn't have that heart of vengeance. He doesn't have that heart of getting revenge on his brothers. Because he sees God as an agent of change in his life. He sees God as the great contrast. They had meant evil against their brother Joseph. But Joseph sees something far bigger than that. Joseph sees God in heaven doing something amazing through this entire situation. And so let me read again in Genesis, but this time from chapter 50. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto them, verse number 19, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I, Joseph, in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God. Here's the contrast. You meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I need that kind of a God in my life so that when other people try to do me evil, when other people try to hurt me and, and do bad things to me, that I can see God as a change agent who is going to do something miraculous. But God brings good out of bad. But God takes what people mean to hurt me. And God turns it around and makes it something that not only helps me, but helps other people through me. But God meant it to be good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. I love Joseph. Joseph has such a great attitude towards the people that tried to do him wrong. And he was able to have that attitude because he believed that God is the great contrast in life. He's the change agent that turns something that was meant to be hurtful into something that God will use to be filled with blessing and good for people. How's Joseph going to react to his brothers? He's in a position to have them all killed. He can seek revenge and get back at them. It is nothing for Joseph to be able to totally destroy his brothers that had done him so much harm. But that's not Joseph's attitude. Because he has a God in his life who is a change agent. A God who is the great contrast. And God turns what people mean to be bad into something that God means to be good. 
And so what's Joseph going to do? Well, Joseph says in verse number 21, Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Joseph had the wonderful attitude that he would be the the uh, instrument that God would use to bring comfort and nourishment and good things to the very people that had tried to destroy him. There's only one way we can be that kind of a person. And that is if we have a God in our lives, working in our lives, vibrant in our lives, who is a contrast, a change agent to turn that which is in the past into that which is good in the future. God, but God, brings good things out of bad things. Let me share with you one final contrast I find in the Scriptures when it comes to the person of God. It comes from the story of Jonah. You remember Jonah? The guy that took the uh, the boat ride, and then it became a fish ride, and then he ended up uh, back in... Uh, ended up over in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, where God is going to use him to preach about salvation and forgiveness so that the people of the Assyrian Empire could be forgiven of God for the horrible things that they had done and how they had lived their lives. And so Jonah finds himself back in uh, or over in Nineveh for the first time uh, after God had gotten his attention in the Mediterranean Sea. And God uses Jonah to bring the message of salvation. A great miracle occurs. Revival broke out and the people of the city of Nineveh uh, turned to God, repented of their sin, turned to God. And God averted his immediate judgment on the Assyrian Empire as a result of the preaching uh, that came from Jonah, uh, from God through Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Well, that made Jonah angry because he really wanted God to judge Assyria because as a prophet, he knew that God was one day going to use Assyria to bring bad things to happen in the northern kingdom of Israel. So he was delighted that God was going to destroy Nineveh uh, in 40 days, but God didn't because they repented of their sin. And so Jonah's got a problem, and so he goes outside the city, up on a hill, and he's pouting and complaining. And the Bible says that God asked him a question in Jonah, chapter number 4, and verse number 4. The Bible says, Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, made a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So here's Jonah sitting under a little booth that he made, trying to get some shade and some comfort as he watches to see what God's going to do. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his exceeding grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. So here's Jonah, the pouting prophet, angry because God is not going to judge Nineveh. 
And God allows Jonah a bit of comfort in his time of backslidden pouting. And then God does something. Verse number 7 says, But God, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass, the sun did rise, and God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. God prepared a worm to cause the gourd to die, the, the uh, gourd that sprung up and provided shelter and shade for Jonah. And God brought judgment against Jonah, but God brought judgment into Jonah's life when that's what was needed because of Jonah's sin. But God intervenes in lives with judgment. Now that's, of all these things I've mentioned, that final one is the one that isn't my favorite. I like God being the great contrast, the change agent that saves me when I'm lost, that strengthens me when I'm weak, that leads me in strange directions when I'm about to make a wrong decision because it makes sense to me, but God knows something I don't know. I need and I want that kind of a God. I want a God who heals me when I'm sick. A God who brings good things out of bad things that happen in my life. I need a God who brings these changes to bear in my life. But you know, as strange as it may sound, and as much as I don't necessarily want it, I need a God who spanks me when I do wrong, who brings judgment into my life when I've done the wrong thing. Because chastisement from God is designed to make us better, not bitter. It's designed to help us be dissatisfied with sin and want to be back in fellowship with God. The chastisement that comes from God is intended just like the chastisement of a loving father to his wayward child when he spanks the child not because he's angry, not because he's being uh, 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 vengeful and, and wants to get back at his, his child. No, that, that father brings judgment, chastisement into the life of his child because he bring that child back into favor. He wants that child to be obedient, to learn how to obey and be in the Father's graces and the Father's will. And so I really do need a God that intervenes with judgment when I'm doing the wrong thing because that's what brings me back to God where I can enjoy His peace, His joy, His favor in my life, the good things that God has to bring in my life. As Ken and Angela's special music that they brought earlier, we need God to touch us once again. We need a kind of a God that brings change into our lives. The kind of a God who, who is a, a contrast to the things that only we can do and make life better 
because God is with us in our lives. Do you have that kind of a God in your life? Do you have such a relationship with Him because He saved you? And now as His child, does He strengthen you and does He lead you and does He heal you and and does He bring good things and does He sometimes even punish you when you're wrong in order to bring you back closer to Him once again? That kind of a God is a God that's worth building a relationship with. And if you don't have a relationship with God to be able to enjoy the great contrasts between what you normally have and what God can bring into your life, then we would love to help you to enter into that kind of a relationship with your Creator and to build that kind of a relationship with God in your life. At Community Baptist Church, we're here to minister and serve to you and help you know God and to know Him better. God bless you. Touch your people once again. Thank you for being with us today for our Sunday morning program. We'll be back this evening at 6 o'clock for our evening service and then again next week at 10 and at 6 in the evening. But be watching for the announcement of when we will return on Sunday morning to an in-person church service. And we trust that that will be coming up uh, pretty soon. We're going to be going over on our Facebook page to join uh, the Simpson family. Uh, Jonathan and Ann Simpson are going to be uh, bringing us some special music and some hymn singing. And so uh, I'm going to head over there and I invite you to come and join me. Uh, over at the Simpsons house. They're taking requests, and so you can send those requests in uh, to uh, Jonathan and Ann, and we'll enjoy some gospel music here this morning in just a few moments. God bless you. We'll see you over at the Simpsons. Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.